Let's pray together. Oh, God, wow. Those words from Revelation 19 that the sanctuary choir just sang for us. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Those aren't words at the Messiah's first coming. That's a mighty anthem for his second coming. He's come once, and we are living for the second time. We won't be standing then. That's just a tradition from some English king. We'll be like the 24 elders in Revelation 19. We'll be on our faces when we cry out, Hallelujah. Let every heart that listen to that music be a part of that moment when it happens. Now, we have a few minutes left. In your word, dear God, speak to us this season in which we remember the birth of our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. A few weeks ago, just before Thanksgiving, I got to spend three days with my mother at a preaching appointment out in uh, San Diego. My mother lives in Banning. She turned 88 while I was there. So it was a very special time. It was a precious time for me. I laid in the bed beside her, just right beside her, because she doesn't get out of bed much. And we just talk. We reminisced. Her health is very weak. My sister is with her right now. I texted Carrie just a few moments ago. Her husband subscribes to the Los Angeles Times, that newspaper. So I'm reading his paper, and I come across a report of an unbelievable study that just, was just released the day before. It was published in the American Journal of Public Health. East Tennessee State University researchers wanting to get a handle on the effect of poverty on longevity, how long our health, how long we live. But they went about it in a very unorthodox sort of way. We would say, okay, t- study all the 50 states, get the, get, the, uh, get the stats. No, 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 no. They said, let's do this. Let's take the 3,141 counties in America. Berrien County, okay, that's one of them. 3,141, and let's, de- let's organize them by medium household income. That means half of the homes in that county above that line make more, and half of them below that line make less. So that's called the median household income. And let's, let's put all the counties together in a brand new America. We'll call it an alternate America. So that's not geographic. It's based on median household income. So, they, of course, they're looking for the, the poorest first. And they said, we'll take the first 2% because we've got to get 50 states. So it's be 50 breaks, 52s to make 100, right? You with me? All right. I'm sorry to do math after we're on holiday. What's up with this? Why do we have to think math? Okay, so they take the bottom 2%, and then they take the next 2%, and the next, 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 until they come up to what they will call the wealthiest state. So this is the poorest state at the bottom. This is the richest state at the top. What's fascinating is that they compare the two, and that's what I need you to kind of brood over with me. There's a study guide in your worship bulletin right now. Pull it out, please. And I'm going to run these stats by you from the L.A. Times. I'm just going to run them by you. Scribble them down as fast as you can write. Thank you. Our friendly ushers are coming your way. 
On this Christmas break Sabbath, nice to have all of you who are tuning in right now on live streaming. We're very glad you're here. We just keep going. Holidays are not on this campus, and so we're, we're thankful that you've joined us. If you'll go to our, uh, our uh, series, hashtag RXF4NOW, and if you're live streaming right now, of course, you're already there. You're looking for the teaching, The Ogre by the Manger. The Ogre by the Manger. Those of you watching on the screen right now, not live streaming, you see the website, www.newperceptions.tv. You're looking for The Ogre by the Manger. Says study guide, you got the stats. Let's go. Let's write them down. You ready to go? Everybody okay? Let's go. By comparing just the poorest state and the richest state in this alternate America, here are the startling comparisons. Jot them down. Number one, fact number one, the median household income in the poorest state was 24960 That's what they live on all year long. That's the median. There were others much poorer. You understand that. While in the richest state, the median income was $89,723 per household. Wow. Look at that spread. Just keep watching. Stat number two, the average number of people per county in the poorest state, that's the bottom 2%, was about 14,000 compared with about 362,000 in the richest state. Nobody's living, nobody's living in the poorest state. Just the poor. And, well, you'll see it in, you'll see it, you'll see it in this next one. A stat number three, I was going to make a point. You'll see it right now. Although the poor state had much smaller population, the ratio of people to primary care doctors was twice that of the richest state. So obviously the poor are living in rural areas. Rural. The rich are living in very congested areas, 362,000 per uh, county in the, in the top uh, wealth bracket. Here's number four. You, not, you're not surprised here. Smoking prevalence was twice as high in the poorest state, and the prevalence of, of obesity was 50% higher. Now, here's the one we're looking for. Life expectancy for women in the poorest state was 75.9 years compared to 83 years in the richest state for women. Now, for men, life expectancy in the poorest state was 69.8, we'll say 70, and 79.3, we'll say 80 in the richest state. Ten years difference in America. In America, from the poorest to the richest, 10 years. You're going to live 10 years less if you're poor. That's what the, that's what the research is saying, suggesting. The proportion of the population that was African-American was 4.5 times higher in the poorest state than in the richest one. Stat number, number seven, the richest state. In the richest state, 21% of the residents lived in the rural areas. We've already noted they're, they're hanging around urban areas, right? Whereas the poorest state, 75% of the people did. Did we do stat number three? Did I skip stat number three about the ratio of doctors? Did I do it? Thanks for listening. That's really helpful for me. Okay, stat number eight. People in the poorest state were living under conditions seen in the real... This is, this is unbelievable. In the poorest state, the bottom 2%, they're living in conditions, living conditions in the real United States around 1975 and 1980. The stuff they have is 1975, circa 1975, 1980. And watch this. The people in the richest state are living ahead of where we are today. They got so much, they're ahead. 2020 and beyond. That's what they're living with, living conditions. 
Unbelievable. So now here's the conclusion. In other words, the poorest state is between 40, write it down, 40 to 50 years behind the living conditions achieved by the wealthiest state. Time Magazine this last week named the person of the year. You already know who it is. And they said the person of the year is now serving a country called the divided states of America. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what it is. Just look at the, look at this, look at the division and gap. All right. Here's the last one. Comparing these poorest and richest states with 222 actual countries of the world, if the richest state were an independent country, the top 2% up here of counties, it would rank 8th in the world for life expectancy for men, 25th in the world for women, but the poorest state would rank 123rd for men and 116th for women, meaning more than half the countries in the world have longer life expectancy than the poorest counties in the United States. Merry Christmas. Can you believe that? This, this country that we call home, the affluence that we assume everybody enjoys. Go figure. Ah, oh, come on, do I? Why share, why share anything like this at all? You're, you're spoiling my uh, Christmas dinner coming up in a week. Think about it. I'll, I'll give you some reasons why we ought to share it. Number one, we have much for which to be thankful. Some of us complain and bellyache and gripe about what we're having to live with. We have much for which to be thankful. Number one. Number two, the divide between the haves and the have-nots in the United States of America is, is widening. That does, not, that does not bode well for our future. Trust me. Number three. The poverty of America in Benton Harbor is our business. That's our business, 12 miles up the road. It's our business to make a difference. What's all this have to do with you and me this Christmas? Number four, turn to a very unlikely Christmas story in the Bible. The reason we know it's a Christmas story is because there is one hot embedded clue that is a dead giveaway. This story that we would never think of Christmas with is, in fact, a Christmas story. Open your Bible with me to Mark chapter 10, the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I'm in the New International Version today. Whatever translation you have is fine. Grab the Pew Bible in front of you, Mark chapter 10. In fact, I have a page number for that Pew Bible, page 681. Beginning in verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. This is an eager beaver, guys. He didn't just saunter up. He didn't, he didn't just walk up. He ran up, and then he falls on his knees in a, in, in, in a posture of subservience. The gospel's the composite gospel picture leads us to call him the rich, young ruler. This is he. He fell on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, the young man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Come on, come on, come on. I need you to help me. There's got to be something else I can do to make sure I get to heaven. What would that be? But we've just spent all this fall together with hashtag RXF4NOW being reminded constantly that when it comes to salvation, this priceless gift of eternal love from the Creator of the universe for us, offering to save us by giving us eternal life, when it comes to salvation, there is not one-tenth of a penny we can earn, we can merit, 
or we can deserve. It's gratis, paid in full by the God who got born in a box of hay. Jesus is somehow drawn to this young man, as you'll know in just a moment. He's drawn to him, and so he wants to get a little conversation going. So the boys ask the question. Jesus responds, verse 18, why do you call me good? Hmm? Why are you calling me good? Don't you know that the only good person in the universe is God? Are you suggesting, by the way, that I might be God? He's probing. He doesn't get any response. He keeps going. Well, you're, in, in, in response to your question, you know the commandments. You should not murder. These are the Ten Commandments, some of them. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud. Mark's the only one that throws that in. That's not in the Ten Commandments. Mark just throws that in. You should not defraud. You shall honor your father and mother. Teacher, the young man fires back. Teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Now, notice verse 21. And Jesus looked at him. And how does it read? And he loved him. His heart is drawn to this boy. Can you believe that? Apparently, you can be rich and young and a leader and be loved by Jesus. Amazing. Or maybe we should say, be especially loved by Jesus. Because the truth is, filthy rich, dirt poor, doesn't impress him one bit. He's got the whole universe in his hand. He's not impressed with your bank account. It's abundance or it's absence. He loves you just because you are a lovable person. He looked at the boy and he loved him. He loved him. I wish this boy were on my side. I got a team of radical young and not-so-young disciples. I wish this boy would join him. So Jesus speaks to the boy now. Here it is. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, boy, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. Come on. Come and follow me. But at this, the man's face fell, like he did just a moment ago, saying, you're, the, you're, you're, you're my master. The face falls like he did, only now... He went away sad because he had great wealth. Merry Christmas to you, too. Because you, see, you need to know that you just read the embedded clue. The literal Greek, for how the NIV renders this man had great wealth, the literal, literal Greek, I wish you'd write this down. The literal Greek reads, he had many possessions. Scribble that down, will you? He had many Possessions, And the moment you introduce many possessions into this story, it has suddenly become a Christmas story, since Christmas in this nation is very much about accumulating more and many possessions. He'd fit, he'd fit, he'd fit right in here. Because you have many possessions, and so do I. In fact, the last time you and I were together, we noted, would you jot this down, in case you, you weren't here, we noted that the average American house today contains 300 thousand items, which would certainly qualify for many possessions. Huh? How many tools do you have in your toolkit, sir? How many extra screwdrivers do you have, sir? Hey, madam, how many cups do you have in the kitchen cupboard? 
I'll give an estimate. It's going to be between 40 and 60. Why do we have all that we have? 300,000. I told the people in first service, you're not sure that that number is correct? If you go home, and you have to do this tomorrow, if you count, please count everything you have. If you're under 300,000, that's great. If you're over, Pastor Sharon Terrell will give a special gift to you. Email me tomorrow, tomorrow night, because it'll take you a long time to count. Come on. 300,000? Are you kidding? According to Joshua Becker, keep your pen moving. The author of the book, The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. We didn't share this stat the other day. Get this. We see about 5,000 ads a day asking us to buy. Come on. They're, they're, they're in front of your eyes. As you're scrolling down, they're in front of your eyes. Whatever article you're reading in the internet, they're on television. They're on the, the signposts. They're everywhere when you drive down the highway. The big push is... In fact, I like the way the Huffington Post put it. Keep your pen moving. As the Huffington Post suggested, the mantra to hook us third millennials seems to be, buy like you breathe, only more frequently. This is, come on, more than you breathe. Come on, buy. In reaction to rank materialism that now rules our society, nobody will challenge that, there's a new movement that's been birthed in this country called the minimalist movement. So a friend of mine was here last time I'd... Uh, we were together. And he shoots me an email afterwards. He says, hey, Dwight, do you, want to, do you know who the founders of this minimalist movement is? And did you know that they came out with a documentary this summer? And it's now available on Netflix. In fact, it just became available on two days ago right now. No, I didn't know that. So I went to the website, found out about this, put it on the screen for you. This is their little self-blurb on the website. Their words, Joshua Fields Milburn, that's the blonde-haired boy, and Ryan Nicodemus, the dark-haired bearded one, known as the minimalists to their four million readers, help people live more meaningful lives with less through their website, books, podcasts, and documentary. And the documentary that came out is called Minimalism, a documentary about important things. And there's a website. You already have it in your study guide. Those of you watching, there's the website for you, theminimalist.com. And they've developed quite a cottage industry. They're doing well. I'm not suggesting they're, they're gaining in possessions by this industry, but they're doing well. In the TED Talks, so, so they, they, they have a, on the website, they have a TEDx talk, and I, I listened to it very carefully. I took notes. In this talk, Joshua Field Milburn, the blonde-haired one, opens with this question that I think deserves to be repeated right here, and I'm going to leave it on the screen because we need to just kind of savor this one. Here's the question. How might your life be better with less? How might your life be better with less? Why don't you just think about it? Don't look at me. You think about you. How might your life be better with less? Think of your garage. Think of your closet. Think of the kitchen. The family room. How, much your, how might your life be better with less? Then on that TEDx talk, and you'll watch it yourself, after cleverly acting it out as a reminder of all these possessions we've accumulated, he, he makes this pitch for what he calls decluttering. Decluttering. Oh, I like that. Decluttering. These are his words on the screen again. Joshua Fields Milburn. But, and I like the balance here, but consumption is not the problem. I need you to know this. Consumption is not the problem. Compulsory consumption is the problem. Picking up something every time you drive by Walmart. Coming back with a new little gadget. Did you have to have that? No. I didn't need it. But I got it anyway. 
This compulsory buying, addicted to spending. (laughs) You know, that's what strikes at the heart of our Western materialism. And by the way, that's why so many of us Christians, so many of us Adventists, are materialists at heart and materialists by accumulation. We are a people of many things, just like the rich young ruler who had many possessions. Give me, give me, give me. That's our mantra. Please. Do you remember that prayer we shared from the book of Proverbs last time? The only prayer in the entire book of Proverbs. There's a line I purposely... We we didn't see it just below, but I want you to see it now. Uh, Go back to Proverbs 30. That's where the prayer appears. Solomon, the wise, wise king, prays one prayer in the entire book. So this is Proverbs 30. I want you to just... uh, We'll look at that prayer again, and then we'll go to the lines that we purposely... Uh, bypass last time. This is uh, Proverbs 30, verse 7. You got it? Okay. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before, before I die. Please, God, two, two, two. One prayer, two petitions. One prayer, two petitions. Okay, here comes the first petition. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. It's a great prayer to pray. Here comes the other one. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be wealthy. I just need... I just, I just want to be content with what I have. Wow, that's a great prayer, isn't it? You drop a few lines down, you come to verse 15. Do you know what a leech is, by the way? Do you know what a leech is? A leech? Yeah, what's a leech? It's a bloodsucker. Isn't a bloodsucker? Isn't, isn't a leech a bloodsucker? Yeah, okay. It's a bloodsucker. How often is a bloodsucker thirsty? Always. So why Solomon, verse 15, the leech has two daughters. He should have said, in a politically correct climate, he should have said two children. He says daughters. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. Now, that's not a call for Christmas giving. Give to all the people around you. No, that's not that call at all. In fact, let's put it down in our study guide. If they were speaking English, this is how it would read. The leech has two daughters. Give me, give me, they cry. Write it down. Give me, give me, they cry. Just like a leech. Never enough. I never quite have enough. Ah, come on. Let's be honest. Like uh, the rich young ruler, we are people with many possessions. And for those, by the way, who are sitting right here saying, and your arms are folded, and that usually tells me you've already, you've already shut this off. So your arms are folded right here, and you say, not me, not me, not me. Okay, for those of us like that, Julie Shore, she's a, a sociologist at Boston College. She's author of the book, The Overspent American. She was interviewed in the Atlantic magazine a year ago. These are her words in the interview on the screen for you. There is a widespread sense among the population that people have gotten too materialistic. <laughs> We're all kind of saying that about the, you know, about the, the, the population out there, of course, you understand. And that's been around for a while. It's also the case, watch this, it's also the case that materialism is the other person's disease. It's not mine. So, now jot this down, 80% of people think um, that Americans are too materialistic. Now, if 80% of America thinks that Americans are too materialistic, guess what the 80% are? Materialistic. You've just identified yourself, right? Materialism, how did she put it, is the other person's disease. One more line. This is why the rich are hard on the poor, by the way. Look at this line. 
Economically privileged people can be very critical of the materialism of very poor people because they have a large television or a pair of sneakers, end quote. Look at that boy. Look at that guy. He's got Nikes on. That's got to be 120. I think that's probably 150, 170. Where do you get those? What a materialist. Must be a drug dealer. Yeah, don't cluck your tongue. Those who are well off accuse the poor, the very poor, of being materialists. Where did you get your Nikes from? You drug dealer too? That large screen TV that hangs in your family room wall? What'd you have to sell to get that? If the Nike fits, wear it. We're all in this, guys. No finger pointing. Pointing. Mark 10, go back again. Mark 10, verse 21. Jesus looked at the man, the young man, and he loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had many possessions. And there it is, the ogre by the manger. You just saw it. Desire ages. The story of Bethlehem is an, is an exhaustless theme. In it is hidden the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Romans 11. We marvel at the Savior's sacrifice in exchanging the throne of heaven for the manger and the companionship of adoring angels for the beast, the stinky beast of the stall. Now, here it comes. Human pride and self-sufficiency. Write it in. Human pride and self-sufficiency stand rebuked in His presence. In His presence where? In His presence, in that box of cow feed. That's the presence we're talking about. When I stand beside the manger, I who live by this mantra, give me, give me, give me, and if you won't give it to me, I give it to me. I who live by that mantra am suddenly confronted with what one song, what's that worship song we sing, Josh? Come on, help me out. That worship song we sing where he's called the darling of heaven. The darling of heaven. Yep. Yeah, you know. What? Worthy is the lamb. The darling of heaven. We're talking about the darling of heaven who sat on the highest pinnacle there is in the universe. It's a great white throne that's higher than any other point in these billions of light years. He sits on that throne. He's the theme of every love song. He's the hero of every story they tell. He's the Creator God. He left all of that. Nine months later, he's lying, he's laying, he's been placed in a box of bovine food, cow feed. And I'm sitting around saying, yeah, well, I don't need to give up too much, you understand, in the presence of that manger. Human pride and self-sufficiency. Stan Rebuke. I wish you would jot it down because that self-sufficiency is just big, big words for the nickname selfish. There beside the manger, human selfishness stands rebuked. And what is selfishness? Same book, another page. Selfishness is death. Write that down. 
Just ask the Dead Sea about not ever giving what you've received. That's why it's called dead. Selfishness is death to the human organism. And the soul that refuses to impart will perish. You see, the ogre, the ogre of selfishness that lives in me when I stand by the manger, I'm suddenly confronted with it. The ogre of selfishness that lives in me. No wonder, the, no wonder the rich young ruler walked away sad. I mean, I would have walked away sad if Jesus had asked me to give up everything I have. I'd be very sad. Don't you ask me to do that? And by the way, let's be clear on that. Jesus is not asking us to give up everything. He's not asking us at all. You know what Jesus is doing? He's whispering in your ear right now. Mm-hmm. Listen to him. Can you hear his voice? It's the voice of the Spirit. You know what Jesus is asking you right now? But do you have to have as much as you have? That's what he's asking you. Do you have to have as much as you have? Help me out here. Do you have to have it? Self-surrender. The deal about self-surrender is it is most convincingly demonstrated through stuff surrender. In fact, I wish you'd write that down. Self-surrender is most convincingly demonstrated through stuff surrender. Because the way to a man's heart, the way to a woman's heart is through her stuff. It's true. It's through his stuff. The secret to self-surrender is stuff surrender. How much stuff, Dwight? <laughs> Don't ask me. That's between you and Jesus. But of course, that is the point. The point is to have nothing between you and Jesus. That's the point. 